The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for episode 118 for the week of May 18th. This is Rob. This is Alex. And Alex, could you believe the surprise ending to Game of Thrones last night? You know, um, it was really, really hard to believe that... uh, that Superman flew in like that and and destroyed yeah. everyone with his uh, heat vision. I know. I, I mean, really, he he did realize that they were a bunch of terrible, terrible people who needed well, to be ended. You know, he is a superhero, right. so that those are the sorts of things that he did yeah. does. You know, he he relieves oppression. But you know, I guess you know the way they tied it all in and shows how it fulfilled the prophecy. Re- really, um, you know, it was a pretty good ending. You know, he he is a prince. You know, we're looking for the prince who was promised. Yeah. So it was all it was all perfect. All right. Well, uh, before we dive into the news, why don't we do a little bit of housekeeping? Uh, as a reminder, we have a Slack channel, and, and Slack is a, is a communication vehicle you can use to have live chatting with over 900 local security people in the Colorado area. You know what? We also have a mailing list, Rob. Uh, if you go to our website, colorado-security.com, you can sign up for the mailing list at the bottom of the page. We'll, you'll get the show notes in the email just as soon as they are available, you'll get all those behind-the-scenes insights into the podcast. And while you're signing up for things arbitrarily, why don't you also sign up to receive this podcast in your favorite player every week if you uh, subscribe, and, and we'd love it if you'd also rate us. Um, last week, we put out the call for people to, to rate us on iTunes, and guess how many people we had? How many? We had a big showing. We went from 30 to 32, so oh, two people that, that reviewed us last week. That is wonderful. Thanks to those who did it. Um, for those of you who haven't, the other hundreds of you who haven't, that'd be awesome if you'd spend a couple minutes uh, reviewing us in the iTunes pod store or podcast store. Speaking of arbitrarily rating us, um, if you want to give that rating to a friend so that they know how wonderful we are, we would appreciate that also. Spread the word. Get them involved in Colorado Equal Security. And finally, uh, if you want to help support the show financially, we do have a Patreon campaign. This is a way you can help defray the costs of this that Alex and I have been paying. We did have a new supporter this week who prefers to remain anonymous, uh, but we, we have a big thanks to you for doing that, sir. Thank you, anonymous supporter, although you just outed their gender, Rob. Oh, I can't believe you. Hey, hey Alex, is that a beer you're holding in your hand? Um, it's not, but I wish it were. Uh, now... I don't know if you've heard, but in two, in 2019 through January, we already set the record for the best beer sales um, with a 20% increase over the previous record. What? Uh, that's pretty amazing. Uh, I guess it's not completely surprising. You know, we've recently transitioned from uh, only being able to sell 3-2 beer in, in grocery stores to now selling full-strength beer. Uh, I have seen a proliferation of of beer into those places, so I guess it doesn't surprise me that people are buying more beer. So 9.8 million gallons of beer were sold in Colorado in January. 9.8 million gallons. That's a lot of beer. So like, you know, there's what, uh, 5 million people in Colorado? So there's two gallons per person in the month? That seems reasonable. (laughs) Including men, women, and children? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that, that's about right. So you, that means you had like four or five gallons in January. <laughs> Didn't you, Rob? No? No? Okay. Uh, next, uh, Denver um, is getting workers from other places. That's not a surprise. So the city is drawing workers away from other major metros, um, according to LinkedIn data. So we look, they basically look to see how each city has compared against other cities and getting more or less people moving between them. And we are kicking the pants off of Chicago, New York, and San Francisco. They are sending their workers to Denver at the highest rate of any cities in the U.S., 
Uh, we're also a, a very popular relocation site for folks from Washington, D.C., Dallas, Boston, Houston, of course, and uh, Minneapolis. Um, also, there are some areas that are winning the migration battle against Denver. So uh, cities like uh, Las Vegas, Salt Lake City, Boise, and uh, Missoula and Great Falls, Montana are getting some of those folks from Denver. Seems like it, there seems like a trend that it's going from uh, bigger cities to smaller cities. That's kind of what it sounds. The bigger cities are all coming yeah. to us, um, and then the, the smaller cities are, are pulling away f- uh, from Denver more. Seems about right. All right. Uh, next, we have a, a story about the uh, the smart highway system that could revolutionize travel in Colorado. So we have talked many times about the smart roads that are coming. Uh, this is the best story I've read uh, yeah. about what they're doing on this. Uh, and it's, interestingly enough, this is uh, was in the Westward, not not our normal source. I think this is the first Westward story we've ever had. Could be. Um, but but really, they, they're talking about this uh, this combination that CDOT is building uh, with a first-in-class system that allows the vehicles to communicate with the infrastructure of the roadways. Um, and what I really liked on here is they gave a lot of specific examples about what this is going to do. Um, so a couple things. Number one, they're going to have these things built out in the next f- few years, all these roads built out. And then the car b- manufacturers are going to start delivering cars that have these communication capabilities in 2021. So just two years away. And Toyota is the first one committed to having those cars out in 2021. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So I think the, the communication protocol that gets built into the cars, it can then talk to these sensors that are being installed on the roadways. And so if your car is, uh, you know, losing traction, it can communicate that out. If you're, if you've been in an accident and your airbag goes off, it can communicate that out. And then the, the roadway can automatically, uh, alert folks, and there can be action taken based on that. And there, there's a lot of interesting examples here. Uh, airbag goes off, then there's going to be uh, you know an ambulance sent out, or um, if they're losing traction, they'll deploy a snowplow to that area of the road. Um, if there's a if there's an accident around a blind curve, the roadway can communicate with the the folks who are approaching that blind curve what's coming. Um, automatically rerouting uh, motorists based on road conditions. Um, and then there's, they talk a lot about automation for truck drivers and the ability to remove human errors and improve the safety of, of, of those truck drivers who are driving around all the time. They do have one mention in here about um, our line of work. Uh, they talk about the the, communi- the transactions that are being broadcast between the vehicles and the road. They say that it will be done securely and privately. And then they have a little picture that looks like maybe encryption on the, on the, <laughs> in the video showing, showing that. Um, and then they, they do make the claim that the individual vehicle cannot be identified based on these transactions. It's more like, you know, there is a vehicle sending this versus saying here is, you know, Alex's vehicle sending it. I, I'm sure uh, security researchers will, will challenge that assumption. Exactly. I'd, I'd love to see those details. Usually when people think, oh, I, I can't do that. It's yeah. um, it maybe it was not natively meant to do that, right. but that doesn't mean you can't do it. It, it might be super easy. Yeah. Um, that said, uh, there's a really interesting video in this link. I, I'd recommend folks taking, you know, three minutes to watch the video that shows how this is going to work. It's kind of a, you know, a prep for what all of our tax monies are going for and, and what the world may look like. Awesome. Next, uh, speaking of smart things, there are several smart communities that are in uh, the Denver area that were talked about in this next article. So the, the two communities that they talk about are Sterling Ranch, which is uh, sort of uh, west of Highlands Ranch. And uh, Pena Station next to uh, that exit off of the light rail in uh, at DIA. So uh, pretty cool. Um, they're talking about how these these communities natively have 
uh, some of the, the smart capabilities built in. Uh, Sterling Ranch, for example, when they built this out, they built a full fiber network throughout the entire development so that all of the houses could be hooked up to, uh, to fiber communications. Uh, also using things like you know, smart garage doors and um, buses being driven by computers instead of people. Uh, interesting stuff. They, they, they give one interesting fact in here that surprised me. Um, they say if you provide consumers with real-time data on their energy and water consumption, that they will voluntarily choose to save about 10%. That, so, so that's one thing they they built into this. So you have you know, up to the minute uh, details on your usage. They also talk about the smart lighting system that they have there. Um, so it's obviously efficient LED bulbs, but way more than that, they each pole has a security camera and it will change colors based on emergency situations. Uh, a flashing light means that a home behind it was broken into, for example. Wow. Um, they give it, it does sound like uh, uh, kind of the future, right? It, yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, pretty cool. Sterling Ranch is being built out now. So if you want to live in a smart community, I'm sure that you could buy a house there. All right. Well, our next story is around um, what we learned from our cyber attack of the C, the C. Basically, it's called what Colorado learned by treating a cyber attack like a disaster. But this is talking about the C. breach, Sam Sam breach that we had uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago. Yeah, the article, it rehashes some of the things that we've heard about already. Um, you know, they went into... Uh, into a disaster mode. They engage the national guard, you know, lots of people working, bringing in pizza to, to try and uh, recover from this, the ransomware attack. Um, some of the other things that they mentioned, you know, they, they came out with a couple um, sort of lessons learned, you know, one was uh, because they had treated this like a disaster. Some of the protocols they had were uh, for people that, that worked for CDOT to bring their equipment into sort of the, the headquarters office. And so if people were bringing in laptops and trying to, you know, plug them into their, their network um, at CDOT, which is not what you wanted to do in a ransomware attack. You wanted to stay as far away from that as possible. Um, so definitely some things that they figured out that they could do better, but it, it sure sounded like things went pretty well. Awesome. It's good to get those details out there so other people can, can get better at dealing with their own incidents as well. Next, we have a story from the Denver Post about the top workplaces in 2019. Uh, this one's focused on mid-sized companies. And uh, on the list of the, the top 50 companies, there are two security companies. Uh, number 49 on the list is Coalfire, our, our, our local services and consulting company up in the, the North Broomfield area. Yeah, and I think we had an article a couple weeks ago about this where they had you know, sort of preemptively uh, put a press oh, release right. out about it before I think the actual uh, list was out. And now we've got the list. And now we got the list. Uh, and Ping Identity was number 13 on the list. Uh, interestingly enough to me, you know, I, you know I, I work at Ping. I was surprised to know that Ping has been a five-time winner of the award. Um, so there you go. You're, they're so good at Ping that you don't even need to advertise how good it is. It is that good. Uh, next, uh, Logarithm had an announcement this week, a pretty big one. Uh, they have released their next-gen SEM platform in the cloud. So now if you don't want to deal yourself with managing the hardware or software of installing Logarithm, you can now do it in a cloud-based instance. That's pretty pretty nice not have to pay for the hardware, not have to have the people act actively managing all of the configuration around that. I it, it, And one thing that they say here is that unlike uh, some other vendor solutions that are going to have limited functionality in the cloud, this is going to have full you know, feature, feature parity with their on-premise uh, appliance functionality. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Good for them. Um, next, we have a, a blog from IntelliSecure. If you remember last week, we talked about their digital transformation series. We went through it, kind of defining what digital transformation was. And this week, we were able to dive in and, and see how do you secure that. So he stayed with the same 
um, kind of breakdown of using people, process, and technology, and and talked about them in that way. Actually, process, people, and technology. Uh, so for process, um, really the focus is on securing rapid change, uh, and how executives must think about data protection in smaller, rapid, ongoing development cycles instead of the large, discrete project. Um, and they also made the point. Uh, Jeremy also made the point that um, business executives embracing digital transformation are going to find it increasingly difficult to get resources for projects that don't show benefit to the business, quantifiable benefit to the business. And he specifically says, you know, security is going to have that same challenge. Uh, for people, uh, I, I'm not sure if, if, if I got his point here. He, for people, the only real point that they put in was that um, there's changes for CISO, specifically changes around where the CISO is reporting. Um, and he says, you know, historically, most CISOs are reported to CIOs and, and that organizations uh, going through the digital transformation journey are reconsidering that relationship and moving them to different parts of the business. Um, I, I'm not sure that I agree that that's related to digital transformation necessarily as, as it is just kind of market forces. However, um, it's an interesting trend and, and the one he calls out here. The, the final aspect for technology is uh, basically moving away from perimeter-based security, um, being focused more on the data. Where is your sensitive data? How do you know if people are using it in the right way or the wrong way? So interesting article here, kind of closing up the the series on digital transformation. I feel transformed. Uh, Dex Webber had a blog talking about uh, cloud services in the crosshairs of cybercrime. Uh, so I, this is, a, a, I think, again, one of a more uh, consumer-facing mm -hmm. uh, sort of article here. Webroot, as being a, a at least partially consumer company, tends to do a number of those. But, you know, just talking here about how the risks in the cloud are not that different than uh, the risks not in the cloud. You, know, you see a lot of the same uh, trends happening uh, from ransomware and phishing campaigns, um, you know, DDoS, crypto mining, all those sorts of things happening in the cloud. Um, you know, basically, you need to take care when using the cloud, just like you would anywhere else. Um, while the, the cloud can provide a great, great platform to be secure, um, it does take effort on your part to make sure that you are making it secure. Sounds like something we should be able to share with those folks who are not doing security full time. Yes, exactly. All right. Uh, our final story this week is a blog post by Security Pursuit. I think this maybe is just our second time we've done a story by Security Pursuit. Uh, and this is how artificial intelligence is helping cybersecurity professionals. Uh, they specifically, you know, talk through the bad guys are already using AI um, and and what, what can the defenders do? They have three bullets about where it is right now. Um, it, they say AI helps gather threat analysis, data, highlight vulnerabilities, and mitigate potential attacks at rapid speed. So kind of that... You know, the, really the sore aspect where you're you're just doing all of the data gathering all at once and having it there for the analyst to review. Uh, second bullet, uh, AI-assisted network access control that enables device visibility through accurate inventory and monitoring of company devices. All right. Uh, the last one is automated response to a breach through AI means corrupted systems can be taken offline in near real time, greatly, really, greatly reducing the damage done and the cost of a breach. It sounds like, you know, the difference between AI and automation here, they don't really go into it, but I'm, I'm guessing automation would just mean if this, then that, a rule we create somewhere. And and maybe with AI, there's some kind of evaluation, some kind of judgment that's being applied by the system to say, yes, this is this is enough, right? I'm not sure exactly if there, there's no specifics in the article, but that's that's kind of my take on the difference there. Well, Rob, I look forward to our new AI overlords. I think Any that's fair. Now. Absolutely. So that's our news. Uh, let's move on to the Slack message of the week. 
thanks to Andre Gata for sponsoring the Slack message of the week. He's been doing this for an awfully long time and we appreciate that support. Um, so here we go. This Slack message of the week. I'm just going to read it before we even say right. who it is. Um, so a QA engineer walks into a bar, orders a beer, orders zero beers, orders nine trillion, nine hundred ninety nine billion. Uh, a lot of beers. A lot of beers. Uh, orders a lizard, orders negative one beers, orders a gibberish word. And then the first real customer walks in and asks where the bathroom is. The bar bursts into flames and everyone dies. Good job, yeah. QA engineer. Way to test all the scenarios. So uh, a Slack message of the week this week is to Flint Gattrell. Flint posted this this joke in the, the Slack channel, made me chuckle, made me share it with my work folks. Um, so you get to have one free item from the Colorado Equal Security Store. Thanks to Andre Gata for doing that. Awesome. And congratulations to Flint. Uh, moving over to our events. As a reminder, we do have a calendar of events on the website. You can go out and see what's going on here over the next weeks and months locally. Um, we also... Uh, we love to talk about the next couple of weeks here on every show each week. Um, so b- before we dive into the next two weeks, we do want to do a little bit of a spotlight on the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. Yeah, uh, we're getting awfully close here. The conference is June 4th through 6th. We've got, you know, like three weeks, I think now, a little under three yeah. weeks. And I think we um, had we had like two more sponsorship spots left. Is that right? Yeah, as of uh, Thursday, we had two sponsor booths left. So we're really close to, to selling out. I haven't heard that we've sold out. But I think that we may have sold one of those. So there may only be one so left. So if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, maybe I should sponsor, uh, this is your time. That is that is very true. <laughs> um, we do have some other sponsorship opportunities um, if you don't want an actual booth. So don't let that deter you. Even if you can't get one of those last booths, um, there still are other opportunities. I think the biggest thing now is if you're someone who wants to learn, you need to go in and get signed up now. We're, we're getting really close to this. And so sign up. Uh, get your your stuff in there, and uh, and let's see you at the conference. Yeah, we'll be there. We have a couple of different sessions. We talked about we talked about it last week. Um, Alex and I will be walking around, and if you need autographs, um, make sure <laughs> <laughs> make sure you bring a pen because uh, because we've never been asked for one before. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to learn how to sign my signature again. I don't ever write anything. We'll anymore. have we'll have Colorado Equal Security stickers with us. Which, we will. You know, we we could sign. Uh, okay. Uh, all right, um, let's go ahead and j- dump into the next events for the next two weeks. On the 21st, uh, the Cloud Security Alliance Colorado is doing their May chapter meeting. On the 21st and 22nd, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their May meetings. On the 22nd, ASIS, the Physical Security Group, is doing their May meeting behind the scenes of video analytics. Ooh. On the 22nd, the ISC Squared Pikes Peak chapter is doing their May chapter meeting. On the 23rd, ISSA, Den- ISSA Denver is doing a education workshop on incident response and disaster recovery. On the 23rd, SecureSet is doing a Capture the Flag Cybersecurity Hackathon. On the 24th, NCC, the National Cybersecurity Center down in the Springs, is doing a Secure GPS for Critical Infrastructure and Key Resources Seminar. Nice. Uh, the GDPR Meetup Group is doing a social event one year under GDPR on the 28th. ISSA Denver is doing a happy hour on the 30th of May. Also on the 30th, Checkpoint is doing a cloud mobile threat prevention um, event. Welcome to the future of cybersecurity. And finally, uh, CTA is doing an innovative look into ethics on the 31st. Nice. If you're not sure what ethics are. Maybe you should go. (laughs) You should definitely go. (laughs) All right. Well, that is it for the news. No, 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 no. Why don't we talk about jobs? Jobs first, then we'll end the news. All right. 
Uh, I have a couple of jobs at Ping. I am hiring a product security engineer focused on helping embed security into our um, development uh, process. If you have a development background and an interest in security, this is the job for you. Um, similarly, we're also hiring a lead for that group. Um, if you're someone who wants to help um, run the product security function at Ping, this is a good chance for you. You could drop me a note and I'm happy to talk to you about it on the Slack channel. Charles Schwab is looking for a senior manager of risk and maturity assessment. SCL Health is hiring a manager of information security operations. The University of Colorado is looking for an incident response and monitoring lead. Lockheed Martin is hiring a cybersecurity engineer. Shutterstock is looking for a risk analyst, cyber risk governance and analytics. It's kind of funny because the word risk and analyst are in it twice each. Yes. <laughs> Made it very confusing there, Rob. Uh, Iron Core Labs is hiring a DevOps engineer. Iron Core Labs is a local security company, a local startup that's doing some pretty cool stuff. This is a, might be a fun chance to, to work at a, a very small company that's solving a good problem. Nice. Uh, Wells Fargo is looking for an IT senior lead auditor. And finally, Dish Networks is hiring a program manager focused on IT security. Sweet. So that is the end of the news. And speaking of Dish Network, I actually put that job last on purpose. Speaking of Dish Networks, we... The, sneaky, Rob. Yeah. Very sneaky. It's a segue is what it's called. The uh, feature interview this week is with Artie Wilkowski. Artie is the CISO at Dish Networks. Segway, isn't that one of those things, those scooters that you ride on? Are those still around? I Probably. I know people do Segway tours of cities. Yeah. I've, Have you ever done a Segway tour? I've never done a... I've never been on a Segway I've never before. been on a Segway either. Maybe we'll have to do that. Maybe we should do a Segway tour around Denver during RMISC. Yeah, but see now now segways are passe. Now you need scooters. You need. Uh, I've done you know, scooters. Yeah, but what about those one those big one wheel things? You know what I'm talking about. I don't even know what you call those things. Uh, uh, a gentleman at our work has one of those one wheeled skateboards. Those things are amazing. Yeah, they are pretty cool. I, I was going, you know, I was riding my bike, and some guy ha was on one of those going up a hill at like 15 miles an hour or something mm -hmm. like that. Apparently they have a lot of juice in there. Yeah. So anyway, um, I feel bad here for Artie because we just you know buried the lead on his interview. So. Artie Wolkowski, Dish All right. Network. And we'll talk to the rest of you guys next week. All right. Hi, this is Sam Masiello, Chief Information Security Officer at Gates Corporation. This is Colorado Equal Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is Rob Reck, and I am sitting in the studio today with the CISO from Dish Networks, Artie Wolkowski. Artie, how are you doing today? Rob, I'm well. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. We have uh, some beautiful spring weather, which doesn't narrow it down too much. You know, it could have been a month ago, could be a month in the future. No one knows when we're recording. Um, uh, before we dive into you know how you became the CISO from Dish Networks, and where I want to talk today about your priorities for the program and and really where you see security going. But before we do that, I want to talk about working with your hands with woodworking. Talk to me about your your hobby and what is it you like to do with wood. I'd love to build furniture. And what's unique about my hobby is that my wife fully supports it. So <laughs> I have a lot of friends that are into woodworking and, and their, their significant other will actually treat it as some sort of nuisance hmm. uh, and not support it. My wife thinks it's great because she finds a picture of something that she wants, points at it, and I'll sort of design it and build it for her. Right. So, it's a so, lot of so give me examples of things you've made in the past. Um, I made a, I've made patio furniture. Uh, I made a sideboard with, uh, with barn doors. Um, I've made a sideboard, like a, like a buffet for your dining room, basically. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yep. Um, I've made, uh, I don't know, all kinds of tables and things of that nature. Right. I made a, a whole cabinet and bookshelf set up in my, 
uh, when I lived in Atlanta and my home there, uh, I, I really fell into uh, uh, listening to LP and vinyls, hmm. uh, vinyl, right? And so what I, what I decided I, I need to do, I had a spare room in the basement. I decided I was going to make this really cool listening room. So I did cabinets, I did shelves, I did, you know, sort of the centerpiece area for the record player for the turntable. It was, it was cool. So sounds I, like it sounds like you've been quite uh, productive with your woodworking. It's not like me. I've I've made a handful of pieces of furniture, and it's always been like here's a specific thing we want, and it, it's got to be like like these these uh, uh, measurements, right? It, it can't just be anything random from the store. So I've made a few things like that, and maybe I'll show you before you leave. You should, um, yeah. But I have only made a few, right? It sounds like you've you've gone you know, way above above and beyond. Yeah, I I like it, and I've gotten to the point where if it's my mom's birthday or my wife's birthday, part of what I do is I just say, hey, pick anything and I'll make it for you, right? Oh, wow. So that's I actually, awesome. Yeah, I owe my mom something right now. Um, I, I'm going to get to work on that soon. So is your experience similar to mine in that making your own piece of furniture costs you know a couple times as much as it would have if you bought it from the store? Well, yeah, because if you factor in, you need special tools. That's the other reason you do it, right? You, right. you get a chance to... Every new piece of furniture is at least one more tool, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, last time my wife wanted this uh, sofa table recently, and I decided... So I went and bought this exotic wood, and um, and I went and bought a joiner along with it because I figured I don't have a joiner, and I really need to make sure this is perfect. So it turned into a, I don't know, $500 project. Right. should have should have been 75, right? Yep. Yeah. That's, that's exactly my experience is, uh, I, I don't do it enough that I have all of the tools, but I have enough tools to make myself think that I have enough tools. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, that, that's fun. I, and like I said, I'm happy to, uh, to share some pictures of furniture with you and stuff, but let's go ahead and dive into, you know, your background. Where are you actually from? Uh, so I was born in Houston, okay. um, moved around a bunch as a child. I lived in Singapore for a year. Wow. Um, what, what took you to Singapore? So my dad was in oil and gas, okay. uh, which makes makes the Houston thing make sense. Right. And then he but was not a- Singapore so much. Yeah, well, he was asked to. He worked for um, uh, Geophysical Services Incorporated, which was a part of Texas Instruments, and they asked him to go out there and I don't know uh, start some some operation hmm. uh, in Singapore. So I was relatively small. I think I moved there when I was three and a half and stayed till I was about five. But I still yeah. have a lot of a lot of memories from it. It was great. And I want to go back. So I'm going to expose some ignorance here that I probably shouldn't be ignorant. What language do they speak in Singapore? Malaysian. And so did you did you learn any Malaysian? I did. Um, I can't tell you a word okay. of it now. Um, <laughs> at the time, though, you had it. At the time, I had it down. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a we had a live-in housekeeper, which was very common, wow. and she taught me everything. Yeah. And I I became friends with her daughter, and we still actually communicate oh, occasionally. Neat. Yeah. We'll send in English. It sounds like. In, well, yeah. Or, <laughs> you know, letters or or um, you know pictures or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Uh, so Singapore from three to five years old. Yeah. So then I went back to Texas, uh, but I really consider I became a Coloradan uh, when I was about ten or eleven years old. This would have been in the uh, this was this was the year that Elway was drafted. So eighty three, eighty four. Okay. Is, is when I is when I moved to uh, Colorado and I've I moved to Arvada, um, moved around a little bit, but I basically stayed here. I went to school out here at Northern Colorado up in Greeley. Um, I moved down to Dallas for about three years. Miss Colorado uh, after college. Yeah, graduated. What, what, um, did, what was your undergrad? Undergrad was uh, business. I took okay. I took some uh, some I you know MIS type courses, although. 
I never, I never really took a lot. I, I didn't, I wasn't particularly interested in coding or, yeah, you know, COBOL or Fortran or any of that stuff um, at the time. So it was more statistics and just general IT. I was always just interested in, in computers. Um, I had them growing up. I was, I was the person everyone would call if they had hmm. a problem or questions, and that's kind of how I fell into yeah. it. So yeah. So your, your first jobs out of college, what did you, what did you do? So my first job out of co- well, okay, my very first job out yeah. of college, when I graduated, I, I did on-campus interviewing. I didn't really have what a lot of kids today have, which is like a plan, right? I was <laughs> just kind of figuring it out as, as I went along. And I did on-campus interviewing. I got a job offer to go into the management program at Kmart, believe it or mm. not. And so I went and they moved me to El Paso, Texas, and I lasted all of I don't know, four or six weeks hmm. before I realized that that was not wasn't the me. future you wanted. Yeah, nothing, nothing, nothing bad to say it with with Kmart. It was just well, they're re, all you know, they're, they're bankrupt and gone now. Aren't yeah, they? yeah, right. But you know, so, so there's a couple bad things to say about Kmart. That, that is true. <laughs> that is true. But for any of you that have been at Kmart, I, I actually like the people. Yeah, I just uh, I didn't like the work and retail. Right. So so I left. Um, I went to Dallas, hmm. and that's really where I got my first job in IT. Hmm. I worked at a small company, and we we uh, basically developed and sold these Linux-based business systems that were then deployed at ag dealerships across hmm. the country, all in the heartland, right? Hmm. So they would do accounts payable, accounts receivable, whole goods, point of sale, all that stuff. And you were you were implementing these, or what? both? I so half my time I worked on a help desk, which was interesting, and so that's how I learned how to troubleshoot, yeah. right? Um, half the time. I was in the field installing these, yeah. uh, and then I would, you know, train the train the owner and and the farmers there on how to use them, yeah. and that sort of thing. And it it was interesting because, um, you know, just kind of this this new world, right? Very very nice salt of the earth kind people. Um, but you're you're blowing their minds with your with your. Uh, digital transformation for their businesses, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Good one. Good, good one. Digital transformation. Buzz, yeah. Buzzword bingo. There's yeah. your first, there's your first uh, box. So what you, you went to some thriving metropolises, I'm sure to implement these systems. Can you give me some examples of places you went? Oh, sure. I went to every state in middle America that you wouldn't just decide you wanted to visit. And not to say that any of them are bad, but I, every, you know, Arkansas, Iowa, uh, Missouri, you know, South Idaho, South Dakota, you, you name it, right? Yeah. I was there. Um, as far east as New York, um, in fact, I was at an ag dealership that was right right by where the original Woodstock occurred, which mm. was kind of interesting. But um, yeah, a bunch of a bunch of that sort of stuff. So yeah. I've been to actually this is this is one. I, I don't know if it's interesting. My kids don't seem to think it is, but uh, I've been to forty seven of the fifty states. So what, are you, what are you missing right now? I am missing Vermont, which is kooky because I've, I've spent a lot of time in New England. But yeah, I'm but, missing... it, but it, Vermont's like out of the way. I, I went yeah. to to Maine and I'm like, oh, I'll swing by Vermont. And I looked at the map and I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to swing three hours <laughs> west yeah. just to just to say I was there. So it's hard to get to Vermont. Maine is Maine, by the way, is fantastic. Oh, I loved it. My yeah. wife's from the Boston area, so we actually go to Maine to vacation a lot. And yeah, we just we love it there. So Vermont, yeah. So Vermont, Delaware, Delaware, okay, and Alaska. So Alaska makes sense. Delaware, I'm surprised as well, though, because it's so easy to get to if you're in D.C. And, if you're in D.C. Yeah. And I've, I've actually thought about building it into a trip where, yeah. I just, where I just go out there and, I don't know, 
go spend get a the meal night and, and try to yeah. get a meal and try to actually make it official and not yeah. just pass through it. Yeah, right? I always uh, there's like the initial list I made it back when I when I when I would count anything in the state. And then there was the list I made later. I'm like, okay, I can't count that stop over in the airport. I got to actually like go into the place. So a good friend of mine was once stuck in O'Hare airport and he traveled a lot. He was a consultant and he and a friend determined rules, right? For if you could actually claim if you visited a state. Yeah. And the two, the two most prevalent ones are you either spend a night there or you have a meal there, but it can't be in the airport, right? right? You have to actually leave. So, yeah, I feel like I have to have like experienced the culture in some way right? Right. that I actually feel like I've seen it, not just physically been in the place, Yeah, yeah. which is tough, tougher to define. Yep. All right. So you, you got to travel to a lot of states as a part of this ag business. You know, what's next? Um, so from there, let me think. I did some software training, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of access and, uh, you know, Unix and Windows and, you know, so OS and, and I would say applications like Access and Excel. Yeah. Um, I did that for about a year. Uh, then I became a network administrator. Um so I worked for about a year just doing a lot of just general network support hmm. um, for a place down in Dallas. Uh, then I became an IT consultant. And Is that what brought you back to Denver? Right. Looking so at was, your LinkedIn, it looks like about that time. Yeah, yeah. So I was, uh, so let me think about this. I was an IT consultant in Dallas in around, I don't know, 96, maybe 97. And um, I happened to go to a conference in New Orleans. It was a CA conference. And at the time I was doing a lot of Unicenter type implementations. Sales guy from CA took me out and he, he took out a bunch of other clients at the same time. And I met this guy who owned a security firm in Denver of all mm. places where I had lived for a really long time as a kid and really wanted to get back. Right. And so this guy and I, uh, guy by the name of Mark Baisley, really good guy. Um, we hit it off. Uh, he offered me a job shortly thereafter. And I I picked up and I moved back to Denver and started initially doing just IT consulting, but then quickly got sucked into security and I haven't looked back since. Was this in Spherix? Looking at your resume, yes. in Spherix is the is the company we're talking about. I've, I haven't heard of them. I assume somewhere along the line they've they've gone away. That's right. So we were initially Denver Tech Labs, hmm. uh, and then we rebranded and we were in Spherix. And this was, uh, I l- let me think. I was there from. Uh, from the late nineties through, oh gosh, December, 2000, year 2000. Like. Yeah. and that was right before the dot-com bust. Right. And so I, we had started doing security. Uh, I, I'd started doing a lot of it. Basically what happened is, uh, the owners sold and I was, I was like employee number one, I think, hmm. uh, or two or something like that. But the owners sold the company to cyber C I B E R mm-hmm. based here in Denver. And they wanted a security capability, right? Yeah. So then I, I went and I worked at Cyber for a few years. Yeah. You, it looks like between the two, you had, God, man, like seven, eight years. Yeah. That's yeah. It was run. a big chunk of my life. And that's kind of when I learned, you know, uh, first I was a firewall admin. And then I, uh, I did a lot of threat and vulnerability management. And yeah. And then I started running delivery for Cyber, right? So I had all the, all the consultants reporting up to me and I'd design all the engagements and and do client sat and all that yeah. kind of fun stuff. So there, you were there through 2005. What what made you leave? Um, so in 2005, I got an opportunity to go to Raytheon. I wasn't there very long, um, but but it was uh, 
you know, at the time sounded very exciting and, and sexy and yeah. kind of that, you know, that, that in-depth uh, sort of security immersion that you would mm-hmm. get in a place like that. Um, and I actually joined the owner of Inspherix, uh, who kind of recruited me over to Raytheon. So anyway, oh. I, was at, I was at Raytheon for a little while, um, didn't, didn't love it, didn't totally mm-hmm. work out. I went back to cyber uh in in the i guess 2005 2006 time frame mm-hmm. um is that yeah is that, 2006 yeah and then i was there through about 2008 when i transitioned to first data yeah so first data obviously we've had a lot of folks who we know I, you and i both know go through yeah. first data over the years yet another good run there five years or so um global inform information assurance and risk what does yeah. that mean you did so i really did two distinct things and this is for me, was a kind of a transformational time in my career. The first thing I did is I, I was the information security officer, basically like a BSO yeah. for EFTPS, Electronic Federal Tax Payment System, um, which is a obviously a government. It's a it's an IRS system that is uh, the financial agent is Bank of America now BA Merrill Lynch, right. and and then they at the time had First Data actually operating the system, right? Yeah. And so I was the security guy. Um, I, I was completely embedded, uh, with the business, right. With the technology organization, with the business, it was the best, most aware security culture I've ever been a part of. Hmm. Um, it's just, it was kind of this little segregated Island within first data, right. Hmm. Where we just did EFTPS and other government things. So anyway, I, uh, I, I really enjoyed that. You know, I spent a lot of time working with the government and with the bank. I grew the team. Right when I got there, it was just me. Um, I, I grew it, and uh, by the time I left, I had five or there were five or six of us, I believe. Um, along this time, I was getting my MBA right mm. uh, at Regis, and I had all these ideas about how I could. You know, and I was basically uh, studying strategy and strategic transformation. I started thinking, you know, I could really combine security and strategy, and wouldn't that be kind of a cool career, right? So. Graduated, got my MBA. At the same time, I got an opportunity. Uh, so this would be the last two years I was at First Data to basically set strategy for the security organization there. So at that point, I stepped out of the government world within First Data, and I worked for the enterprise security organization there. Um, and you know, a lot of our a lot of our good good friends and mutual contacts. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time with them, and I was. I was doing a lot of road mapping and helping people identify strategic initiatives and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Did that for another couple of years. That was a it seems like a great place to have, to have really, you know, shared the experience with other folks. I, I know that, you know, I've worked a number of companies and I haven't worked at a lot of places that had a lot of um, security leaders at it that really, you know, understood where you're coming from. Most places it's, you know, you're the only security guy or there's just a few of you. And right. first data, I know there's like a dozen of just really smart folks running the, the team there. Um, any, anything takeaways you got from that, from that experience of working with, with all those great folks? Um, you know, I would say when you, when you work in financial services, you, you get to see security on a, on a very grand scale, right. Mm-hmm. And you're a threat and all that. Um, or, or there are many threats rather, um, so that part of it was interesting. I also learned how to navigate in a big organization and how to get initiatives done and how to how to get consensus and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and I also learned to rely on on people and teams that knew more than I did. Hmm. Right. I would say that's the other big takeaway. We had so many smart smart folks doing 
uh, niche things within security that were just so good at it that I really learned how to, you know, how to, how to work with them. And even though I'm, they didn't report to me organizationally, how to influence and, and, right. and get their help. Not have to be the expert on everything. That's and, right. Right. And get the confidence where you don't feel like you have to know yeah. everything. Right. So you were there, it looks like through, uh, mid 2013. That's correct. What, what was next for you? Why, why do you end up leaving? So I was, I kept sort of hitting the, hitting the top. I was a director the whole time I was there and never got a chance to move up anymore. And I mm. just decided I wanted a little bit of a change. And I, at the same time was a little bit, I was missing consulting, right? So I've had this theme in my career where I bounce between industry and consulting. Yeah. Um, and so I decided I, I wanted to get back into consulting and, and some of the same folks that I've worked with in the past, uh, were running, uh, GB Protect, right, which is a an MSSP, which uh, just recently merged, mm-hmm. right, with another another firm. But anyway, I went over there to run uh, professional services and consulting, basically, yeah. and had a had a team of people doing stuff. And I created a bunch of offerings, including a sort of CISO for hire type offering, mm-hmm. um, which I you know spent a lot of time putting that together, which yeah. was a lot of fun and selling it. Yep. Yeah, and, and that was you know one of the kind of like maybe the biggest or one of the biggest Denver only MSSPs really. Right. You yeah. Know, you guys and until it's secure, I'm not sure off the top of my head, I'm not thinking of the other ones that are local, but you know, it was nice to have those kind of companies in, in the area. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it was cool. Uh, so I did that. And then I, um, I ran kind of client, client relationship management, CRM, mm. but not, not, not so much the technology, but just the, the culture. Right. I was, uh, you know, Sometimes I joke and say it was a complaint department, but <laughs> I was I was good at working with clients and trying to find resolution on, right. on tough things. So I, I spent a lot of time uh, doing that. So not really account time. management, more like escalation management. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. When things weren't going well, or yeah. you know, when we needed to sort of change how an engagement was going or a relationship was going, I'd get involved and and try to help it. Well, it's great that you could help solve the problem, but it doesn't sound like a very fun job. It was really challenging. Yeah. I, you know, it, it was it's a lot of times. I mean, we all struggle with this in security, right? It's you're, it, you normally only hear things when things are going wrong. And, and there it was the same thing. It was when things weren't going as well as they could. That's when I got contact. And I was usually dealing with unhappy people, maybe on the client side and, 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 and maybe on, on the company side. And it was just very challenging, but it was a good, good experience. So I know that GB Protect, and we're going to skip forward to your next job, but before we do, I know GB Protect, uh, you know, merged slash got acquired by uh, Newspire, which I, I'd never heard of before. Uh, so it looks like they're a little bit bigger than GB. Do you have any idea, like, you know, is the team still in Denver? Do you have you keep in touch with anyone if it's a good thing for them or a bad thing for them? I do. Um, I've talked to a few of the folks. I think it's a it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's an opportunity for them. Uh, you know, I think, I think GB had a lot of big... Uh, you know, big, really national clients and mm. they could bring that to bear. And they also had some, some consulting capability to maybe, to maybe bring to the relationship as well. But from the people I've talked to that I still keep in touch with, they view it as positive. Oh, it's good. A, you know, upwardly mobile opportunity for them to, awesome. to do bigger. So the, the office in Denver, as far as you know, is not going anywhere or anything? Right. It's not. And in fact that, you know, GB spent a lot of money on this really, this showpiece sock mm. uh, that was there. And I think, I think that's, part of the future plans for, yeah. the, for awesome. the new org. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know you, you left GB in 2014, 2015 or early 2015. You started with PWC. What, what were you doing over there? 
so I was in their cybersecurity and privacy practice. Um, I had back in the first data days, I had I'd gotten to know PwC very well. I was doing this global ISO 27000 um, certification effort for first data. Got to know PwC through that. Um, when I decided to make a change, I, I, I called the partner that I'd worked with a lot and got an opportunity to move out to Atlanta and just do, uh, do security on a, on a, on a very, very big scale at a, at a big four like that, yeah. right. Which was really, really interesting and taught me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's the, what's the best thing you learned from that process? Um, <clears throat> wow. That's, that's a really good question. I, I think I, I became comfortable being uncomfortable, hmm. right? You know, you're as a as a consultant in a place like that, uh, especially in a leadership type role, you're put into so many dynamic situations that you don't have time to to prepare for as much as you would if you if, if you knew it was coming. Yeah, that you just you know, I I I really became comfortable. I don't really get anxious. I may get a little anxious before big things now, but not the way I used to. Right, mm-hmm. I'm. I'm relatively comfortable uh, with, you know, C-suite. I mean, I, sh- I should be given my role now, but I'm, I'm comfortable in those kinds of things. I yeah. don't, you know, I don't clam up, right? So it's a, I'd say that's the biggest thing. And I'd also say, you know, just solving the toughest problems at the biggest clients, right? Big Four doesn't, you know, mess around with, with, uh, with small, easy stuff, right? Yeah. So a lot of these things were very, very complex and difficult and, you know, nuanced. Um, and I was doing a lot of GRC work, a lot of PCI work, a lot of ISO work. Um, you know, I did some, some implementation work as well, but mostly on the strategy side, you know, if a new CISO came in and needed an, an, an assessment, an agenda, a roadmap, I would, I would lead teams to go and, and figure all that stuff Mm. out for them. So I've heard, you know, so you talked good sides some really cool experiences, on the other side, I've heard some stories that like something like 90 plus percent of people who do that job end up getting divorced. It, you know, was, <laughs> you know, and obviously I know you didn't get divorced. But, um, what's, you know, were you on the road all the time? Is it, is it just a, a real work-life balance challenge? It is. I'll say PwC is really cognizant of that. And okay. I think, you know, they, it's more than just talk. They actually try to back it up and give people, you know, adequate time to, not just have time away from work, but vary what they're doing at work and mm. not, not travel all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, there were, I would travel in stints, right? I would, if I had, I'd have a couple of projects that were in different cities and I'd travel quite a bit for those. Uh, but uh, for me, I've traveled my whole life, so it wasn't that big of a deal. And it wasn't a big impact on my wife either because she was used to it. When we met back in the, in the, in Spherix days, um, you know, she was used to me traveling. I did it back then. Right. Mm. So, so it wasn't a huge, wasn't a huge impact. I'd I like the travel. I'd like the dynamic nature of what I was doing and really going to PwC was a, was a path. I figured it would open doors and give me an opportunity to become a CISO. And I think, you know, just before that, by the way, Rob is one of the first times you and I started talking probably back in 2014 it was when maybe. you were at GB. I know yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Probably 2013, 2014, something like that. And I remember after leaving GB talking to you, we went to lunch. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was, I was talking about how, uh, you know, path to be in CISO. And I figured, yeah. 
you know, working a place like PwC was really going to give me an opportunity yeah. and open some some doors I didn't know existed. Yeah, right? I mean the relationships you build, right? Yeah. That it's all there's such great relationships you get through those type of organizations. Um, so I know you were you were at there uh, PwC for three years, and then yep. what happened in March of last year? So in March of last year, I uh, joined Dish Network uh, yeah. as the CISO, um, and I'm uh, just hitting. Uh, about was that, a year. Was yeah. that through, you know, your PwC experience or how, how did you get this opportunity? Great question. Yeah. It's actually, I, I would say it's, it was identified from a relationship that I had with a guy that I worked with at, at first data, hmm. a guy by the name of, uh, Rob Draven Stott was, uh, was the CIO at the time of dish network. Yeah. Uh, Rob and I were very close. Uh, he called me and, and said, Hey, uh, my, my, my CISO just turned in his notice. Yeah. Um, would you like to talk to us? And I said, sure, I'd love to. And, and the rest is history. And what I would say is, although it was a, it was a contact uh, from my first data days, I think what I did at PwC really positioned me well for that. Yeah. Um, you know, I wouldn't have been, I, I'm not sure I would have gotten the job had I not worked at PwC and, and, and learned as much as I did then. Right. So I felt like the time was right. I mean, even if the guy likes you, you know, he has to be able to justify why is this the right guy for the role, right? Yeah. And, and, and I think having that international, maybe not international for PwC, but internationally recognized, you know, experience at PwC and, and, and the other, you know, kind of back and forth between consulting and, and internal really gives him the credibility to say, this is our guy. He's a PwC consultant. He's also helps run security program for Fierce Data. That's, that's a good combo. Yeah, yeah, it 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 certainly helped, uh, and you know it was a it was a it was a great great opportunity for me not not just because of the leadership role but because Dish is such an interesting place. There are so many things going on there. Um, you know, min, some CISOs really are attracted at uh, to building things, and others want to maintain things. Mm. And I get to do a little bit of both mm. at at Dish, so it's it's very exciting uh different business units at, at various stages in their evolution and and just supporting that is, is is really a lot of fun but yeah it was it was it was great and then unfortunately rob left uh you know i don't know maybe four or five months after i joined um but uh so i was sad to see him go he's working at a startup now but anyway it was a you know i'm, I'm still loving it yeah dish. so i you know i think everyone a lot of people in, in town hear Dish and they you know, think of a, a culture that's been, um, you know, kind of built over a couple of decades of a place that's not necessarily so easy to work with for, for customers and, or excuse me, for employees. And, and you know, I, I'm sure you'd heard that before you went to Dish. And I'd love to hear, number one, like how that that uh, that cultural reputation um, impacted your conversations with them. And then, you know, what your experience has been like working there so far. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So I... Uh, you know, I had I had heard things, and you know, everyone reads Glassdoor and that sort yeah. of thing, right? Um, I so I'll say that when I was interviewing, I kind of had my guard up, and I was looking for this, and I was just really, really impressed, surprised, blown away by uh, the caliber of folks that I talked to. Um, they were engaging, they asked tough questions, but I could tell there was a lot of unity. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I view it as um, as a is a unique culture um, that values people that work really hard, that are intelligent, and that you know are are really entrepreneurial. Yeah. Right? It's really it's the kind of place where you're you're really challenged to come up with new and different ways to do things. And there's a lot of people that are recognized for that, right? Yeah. So, 
you know, in, in terms of all the negative stuff that, that, um, that, that I had heard uh, throughout the years, I, I've honestly not experienced that. Right. Well, I mean, some of the stuff that I, and I'm not going to dwell on the negative because I because I actually think I've heard a lot of positive stuff too. But some of the stuff you hear is you know you have to clock in by a certain time or have an exception from your manager, like you know kind of uh, you know those structures that are built around like being there in person. Right. I've heard those conversations. Sure. Sure. Uh, on the on the positive side, to reiterate what you were saying, you know, I've known quite a few people in the security program over there and and IT more generally over the years, and the feedback that I I, I get time and time again is that it's it's a company with a, a huge amount of resources to go invest in technology that prioritizes technology really highly but small enough that people are able to go explore and learn and and be challenged to go to go be responsible for not just their really narrow silo yeah totally agree i mean it, it's a it's certainly a culture and an organization that values having people at headquarters or at, at the office and there's a lot of there's a lot of benefit that comes from that. It's very, everyone's very closely knit. There's a lot of good communication on what's going on. Um, you know, so, so that part of it's great. I think, I think we're able to do things on a, on a very large scale. Uh, that part of it's interesting to me. And I think really it's the kind of place that you can really go and thrive. If you, if you have an interest, uh, at, at dish, you've got a lot of opportunities. Hmm. People move, around all the time and are challenged all the time and you know all kinds of folks with with patents and and new ideas and and great things and we've con you know continually transformed ourselves as an organization throughout the years too yeah you know big big satellites to small to over the top uh with what we do with sling and wire and what we're doing now with wireless and all that kind of fun stuff there is just a lot of really cool opportunity mm -hmm. there and I really like it. Awesome. Well, I'd love, I want to talk some more about your, your, uh, experience there at dish and really what you're, you're focusing on. So what has been your focus over the last, you know, what's it been a year and if you're at a few months now, yeah. uh, what, what's the, the first thing you did, you know, get your, you know, get your feet under you. And then what do you go after? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, first thing I did is I went to base camp for, uh, Oh yeah. Ta tell everyone years. about base camp. I base love this. Camp is so cool. Yeah. Um, I've never heard of a company that does this. Yeah. So Charlie Oregon, Designed Basecamp to give everyone. Who's Charlie Ergen? Uh, you know, <laughs> I know who he is. But... I know you know who he is. Um, so Charlie designed Basecamp uh, to um, to get everyone uh, an appreciation and understanding of what all of our frontline folks do, uh, and and to really understand who our clients are. And so it's this immersive experience where you you basically go away, you you start your job, and then you go away for effectively four and a half weeks. Um, and you are trained on sales and, you know, you listen into sales calls and you, you get an idea of who the, who the customers are and what the, what the sales agents go through. Then you, you work the phones for customer service, uh, both from a dish perspective, as well as a sling perspective. When people call in, um, you, you go out in the field for installs with a tech and, you know, they don't, they don't let you climb ladders for liability reasons, but you build, you build dishes, you, you're, you're not just there watching, you've got a tool belt on and you're out there helping, right? Mm. Um, during your ride along. So that, that part of it I thought was, so you, was you fantastic. do sales, uh, customer support yep. and installs. Is yep. that the three the three rotations? Yep. Yep. Um, and it, and then it culminates with this big, uh, presentation at the end, as far as what you learn, but what's good about it, uh, first of all, you have, you have 
you, you just can't replicate that kind of exposure, right? Mm-hmm. Both to the customers as well as the customer facing folks that we have, you understand uh, what their challenges are. As a security person, I, I saw things that I put on my list saying, hey, I need to look into this, right? So it was it was great from that perspective too, but it's just something that you cannot replicate unless you're yeah. immersed, right? And for someone that's new at DISH, uh, your cohort, the the other folks that are in your class, that you're going through all this with, you become very close and you build a network and, and that yeah. sort of thing. So, so I think it, it's been it, a great success. Is it every single new employee or is it just certain every single or departments? It's, it's every, yeah, it's every single new employee. Yeah. Um, we even put interns, mm-hmm. uh, summer interns through an abbreviated version of that. And, and then existing folks, there's a lot of tenure at DISH. So there's people that have been there. 20 years before we had base camp and they all try to go through as well. Yeah. Right? It's, they're, they're cycling through as they can get away from their job. Right? That's right. That's yeah. right. And it's, you know, look, it's not easy to get away from your job for, for that long. Yeah. Uh, so you have to plan it and everything like that. And that's why for new joiners, we recommend just do it right away. Yeah. Cause I think if you, you know, if you start working, it's you know, hard to pull away. It's hard to pull that, away. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so paying, you know, where I, where I work, um, we hired one of, VP of HR from Dish who would help build the program and and I'm trying to twist his arm to implement the same thing at Dish because I or excuse me at Ping I mean because I think it is such a cool idea and um and I, I worked for Pulte Mortgage before this and and I and I actually kind of made my own uh, where I was I sat down with our loan processors and our our mortgage um, brokers and I like listened in and saw what they did so I could really understand how I was impacting their day when I said, make sure, you know, it's just one extra click, right? It, it was great to be able to understand their workflow. And I think all security people, and of course, everyone would be great, but at least all security people would really, ve- um, you know, get value from seeing how they're impacting their their coworkers with their security policies and, and yep. practices. Yep. Uh, absolutely. It's great. And I think, I think the other the other benefit for DISH is that since this program has been in place, we've started winning all sorts of customer service awards. Mm. J.D. Power, a big, big recognition, right? And this is this is in no small part due to Basecamp and, and the fact that everyone understands how how challenging it is to be a sales agent. How And so you go back and you say, how can I, what can I do as CISO? What can I do as, a, as someone who works in IT that can make their job easier, right? Yeah. That that can eliminate some of the roadblocks, that sort of thing. So it's, you know, I think that's that's a real challenge for everyone that goes through it. And it's just a just a really neat program. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm just give, give myself a note right now. We're gonna create our own security base camp. Even, even if the rest of my my company doesn't do it. Yeah. All right. Anyone who's at paying works who works with me, you know, hold me accountable to that. All right. Um, so after you got a, through Basecamp, yeah. what, what have you been doing for the last year? So first thing I did, like a like a true consultant, is I did a an assessment, right? Um, and used the NIST cybersecurity framework, and I and I went through and I looked at the program and figured out where where some opportunities were to to, to make some tweaks and changes and that sort of thing. Um, I shortly thereafter uh, started. Uh, adding adding staff in key areas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, big initiatives. There are some things that we're doing with um, event monitoring and increasing visibility. There's yeah. a lot that we're doing with revamping our our security awareness program mm-hmm. and adding adding some tweaks to that. Um, some you know changing the cadence of the training, 
um, making sure that we that we hit everyone that we need to. Yeah, um, I'd love to talk about that a little bit more. I know, I know you and I have talked about like the the operational side, and there's the more GRC programmatic side. Mm-hmm. And I, I I personally put awareness more on the programmatic side. Yeah. Um. And and you know a focus on that. How do you think about what's the goal of the different awareness slash training that you do? Yeah. Well, it's it's about ultimately it's about training people, right? It's, you know, security is everyone's responsibility. We all know that. So if you don't, um, if, if you don't adequately train folks, uh, if you don't, um, make people aware of what all the, all the, all the policies are, um, if you don't, if you don't make sure that people are, can, can recognize a phishing email and, and a, and, and a social engineering attempt and stuff like that, ultimately you're, you're kind of rolling the dice, right? So it's never a hundred percent effective, but the better you get at that, as we all know, um, you know, your risk, your risk, at least in some of those areas, is going to, is going to be mitigated to an extent. I'm just thinking, you know, the, the typical, I don't know when it happened a decade ago, we got to the point where most companies just recorded a, or, or bought an hour long training that everyone hates that there's a quiz, you know, maybe throughout it or maybe at the end. Yeah. And, and it's basically like a, you know, that, that's what it was. And, and, you know, that is giving people the training slash awareness that's required. However, you know, they're probably not retaining it and, yeah. and they're, they're, it's, it's not role specific and, and it's probably not even all that company specific, you know, it's probably, you know, you could, I could use yours and you could use mine and, and no one really be able to tell much of a difference. So how do you, how do you look at, you know, going from that, you know, kind of pre-existing state of the industry, maybe not a dish, I don't know, but, but to where we want to be and where do you want to be? Yeah. So, you know, you hit it on the head. It's, it's not enough just to give everyone the same training once a year, right? Um, It's about this continuous um, effort to reach people through different mediums and ensure that they're getting the message, whether it's, whether it's online training, whether it's, um, you know, posters, whether it's a CISO newsletter, whether it's just general awareness announcements, yeah. um, lunch and learns, all these things that are designed to, to, to make sure that you reach people. Yeah. Uh, you know, you mentioned specialized security training, role-based training. That's a big part of it, right? Um, and that's one of the things we focused on, not just because you should for things like PCI uh, or you're required to for things like PCI, but because it's the right thing to do. We know about, we look, we've all got a lot of developers out there. We've got people that are, that are in people's homes um, installing mm. things, uh, and and it's about ensuring that they understand all the all the right things to do. And and I firmly believe, you know, we all think about malicious insiders, and certainly that happens from time to time. Uh, I I think those things are relatively isolated. I think most of the time it's just uh, awareness mm. issues, and people want to do the right thing. They don't they they don't know what the right thing is. Yeah. So I think it's our job to to teach them what that is. You said one thing in there that it really triggered for me, you know, talking about trying to get to people, lots of different communication channels. And, um, you know, there's this marketing buzzword out there, omni channel. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it, I don't know how much it gets into your world. It, it's something I see on a, on a regular basis when I'm, you know, cause we're on the vendor side. I, I see these things sometimes omni channel and, and how you get at people from different things. And, and I think it's, you know, just as applicable to us and security people trying to get out our message as it is to, 
you know, marketers trying to, to hit us, you know, what, what is omnichannel look like? Well, there is a CBT and there probably needs to be a CBT for some sure. reasons, but there's also, you know, I know in, at, at dish, you guys have some posters that you've had over the years, you know, that are you know, just kind of fun stuff on the walls that look like movie posters. Cause you had, you know, bought blockbuster and, and maybe there's, you know, town halls where everyone's in person and maybe there's a lunch and learn. And maybe there's, I, I don't know, like what does omnichannel look like? But I think it's as we get from this, Unichannel to to you know a whole lot more ways of connecting that people are gonna it's gonna be stickier and and hopefully you know a me- one of the messages really is gonna resonate with everybody. Yeah, you're right. And you know the the marketing adage is that you've got you gotta someone's got to hear something three times to remember it, right? And uh, what those three times are, I mean, everyone's a little bit different, right? But you ultimately I, our job as CISOs is to ensure that we have some mind share and that people are 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 security aware. Um, understand what's, you know, what's, what's expected of them, what, what they need to do if they see, see something that's amiss. And the way that you do that is through the omni-channel approach. Yeah. It, it's interesting. I was on a, I was on a panel at code 42, um, recently, uh, at their user conference and, uh, security leader from, I guess maybe I shouldn't say it, from a different company, um, was talking about their own security training and how they had sent out internal messages basically saying, Hey, you know, we have DLP, we see what you're doing. You know, you're, you know, don't do the, don't do personal stuff. You don't want to have seen on these systems. And he saw like, like a 2% decrease in personal use of systems, like, you know, inconsequential. And then they went and did town hall meetings where he said the exact same message, but you know, in the, in a room with people and they saw a 70% decrease, like, like everyone heard it in person and they just, when they either didn't read the emails or they didn't really parse the emails. And I think that it goes to show that the way you deliver the content, um, you know, the more personal you can get, the more effective it's going to be and the more they're actually listening to what you have to say. Yeah, you're right. And so I, I, I'd look for, and I, I assume we're going to talk about, you know, what, what sort of people do you look for? But one of the things I really value uh, people with, with communication skills, people that are comfortable talking to groups, yeah. people that, because it, I think that's always more effective than an email. You need to do the email stuff. You need to do the CBT stuff, but it resonates more uh, when it's a person and a face with a name and, yeah. and they actually hear the message. That's great. It, I mean, our job isn't that hard in terms of technical, technically, like, you know, the technical solutions for most of what we want to do are created by somebody else. We're just implementing. And what do you need to do to be a good implementer? You got to be a people person, right? You got right. to be a project manager, a program manager, a lot of that. Uh, I do want to get to your advice for new hires, but first let's, let's finish talking about, you know, what, what do you see over, you know, what would make 2019 wildly successful for you and your security program? Yeah. So one of the things I mentioned earlier was uh, what we're doing on the wireless side. So, um, so first data, uh, excuse me, um, boy, that, that, that's a, that's a nice slip. Uh, Dish owns a lot of wireless spectrum that we've purchased throughout the years, um, in, in auctions and things like that. And we're doing a lot with wireless. So we're going to start with a, with a, a narrowband IOT rollout, um, which is going to, you know, by this time next year, we'll be, we'll be up and active on that. Um, both from things that we, uh, manufacture and design ourselves that, that write on the spectrum as well as partnerships that we make. And then eventually 5g, uh, is going to be sort of the next phase in the evolution of what we're doing. So I would say what's going to make me successful is if I can continue to integrate into what we're doing from a wireless perspective, you know, help with guardrails and, and standards and, and things like that, but really enable 
what it is that they're trying to do. Hmm. You know, I can't use the same approach um, for wireless that I can for Dish, right? They're they're different. They're in different phases of their evolution. Yeah, security is every bit as important, but I've got to implement it a little bit differently. And I, you know, the 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 methods that you use are a little bit a little bit different. But what would make me successful is if I could um, if I could get all the right uh, controls and mindset in place uh, without without putting the brakes on a lot of things, right. right? Which really in that space we, you know, we're we're time bound on a lot of stuff. So it's critical that we get this stuff out when we need to. So that's what's going to be success for me. Um, what I think I just heard you say is the success of your program is based on your ability to be agile and flexible enough to let the business go where where it's going to go otherwise without you messing it up. Is right. That, is that about what you're saying? Exactly. And exactly. and how and we we talked about this a couple of weeks ago too, right? We did. How do you do that? Yeah. Well, how, how can you position yourself to not be either an impediment to their success or a really bad CISO who just lets them do bad choices? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's about it's about getting integrated and having people that are focused on on this so that when when things are in ideation and, and mm-hmm. you know when requirements are being developed uh, we've got to we've got to have a seat at the table. We've got to have people that are helping helping advise. Right, the earlier on in the process that we get involved, the smoother it goes. Right, right. If we find out late, then it, you know I don't view that as well. The business didn't tell us until recently. I view that as we didn't do our job. I didn't do my job as a CISO. If if I find about find out about something the day before it's going to go live, yeah. right? It's my job to get in there and ensure that my my team gets in there and and understands what it is that we're doing and helps helps be part of the solution yeah. early on. Yeah, that's great. Shift left as far as we can. Shift right? left. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll move on to the next couple topics I have for you. Any other thing you want to talk about in 2019 or we got that kind of captured it? Well, I mean, yeah, I have a big roadmap of, of things, but uh, it's I, I would say my big platform is consistency, repeatability, right? Yeah. Um, process in the sense that uh, we we ought to we ought to we ought to make it easy for people. We ought to say, you know, we we need to we generally need to be involved here, here, and here in the in the SDLC, right? Um, you know, if you if you want to get a, a firewall change request approved, show up the following type types of information. Yeah. If you want to accept payments, credit card payments online, uh, here are some approved methods of doing it. So just making it right. easy and not not arduous service-based approach. To these That's things. right. I love it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, we have a couple different audiences who, who listen. One audience that we get a lot of listeners is folks who are looking to make a shift into security careers. Um, some, you know, secure stat students, some CU students, some folks who are, you know, just it folks who are ready to make a change. What do you think are the keys for them to not only, um, well, number one, how do they even get an interview? Right. Yeah. With a guy like you. Number two, how can they be successful once they get the job? Sure. Uh, great question. So, first of all, I am I am a believer in core skills that don't have anything to do with security. And that's, you know, if someone wants to enter into security, I look for things like a sense of curiosity. Mm-hmm. I look for things like uh, problem solving skills and I look for things like communication skills. And if I can get those three, I can teach someone security. Right. Yeah. Um, I can teach them the principles. I don't I don't think security is particularly hard to pick up. I think the hard part is connecting with people and communicating the message and 
you know, diagnosing things when they're going wrong. Yeah. Right. So for people starting off, um, I think, I think when I meet individuals like that, that can connect with people that can articulate a message that can write, um, for me, it's, it's extremely valuable. And I, I look for those folks. What I would say is, you know, I think there are a lot of cool programs out there through colleges and, and, you know, six and eight week starter programs at different academies and things like that, where you can, you can get some of the basics. Um, what I always counsel people on is, you know, don't specialize too early in the process. Mm. Right. I think, I think if we think about the CISSP and the domains in the CISSP, that's security, right? And so having a, an understanding of what each, what happens in each of those domains is, is important. And, uh, you know, everyone's got to pick a path. And so, you know, starting on a, uh, on a sock and doing, doing, you know, event monitoring or starting in compliance and learning a standard and learning how to go and, and assess risk and stuff like that. I mean, those are good places to begin in security, but I think understanding the big picture a little bit and how things fit together is critical. Yeah. I always, when I talk about the understanding of the big picture, I'm thinking it's as much about vernacular, you know, the, the taxonomy of security. And, and when I say risk, you shouldn't say, you shouldn't think threat, right? right? You need understanding that we, we do have a common language that makes us effective. Um, that's really what I get out of someone like getting a security plus certification, right? Yeah. Like that's not going to make you better at your job, but it's going to make you better able to communicate about your job, which, you know, in the end does make you better at your job, yeah. you know, in, in terms of effectiveness. I think that that, that's the way I think of it is it's it, understanding the concepts, the ideas across our whole area. And then you're going to have to, at some point dive in and say, well, what am I going to actually be good at doing? Yeah. Um, which is like, to your point, you know, going after being a SOC analyst or being a compliance person focused on a specific standard. Yeah. And I think that's where the gap is. Right. And I mean, we're getting better. Um, uh, you know, schools are getting better with, with the degree programs and, and these academies are, are new, but they're, they're, they're teaching the, the fundamentals and the basics, but you know, I'll never forget. I mean, I did all sorts of recruiting on campus stuff when I was at PwC. And, uh, since, since I was in Atlanta, I did stuff, not, not just with the university of Georgia, but at Georgia tech. I remember this one time I was talking to this, um, this, this kid and he was brilliant. He had a four O and a double major in medical device engineering and, you know, physics or something like that. He owned patents and he loved security and, but he couldn't tell me what a firewall was. Hmm. Right. And there's a, and he had taken security courses, uh, throughout his, his, his time. And I think that's a miss, yeah. right? I think there are some fundamentals that we can do. So I agree. I think, the vernacular, the taxonomy, the, the, you know, what everything means yeah. is certainly important. And then just having a, at least a, a foot deep understanding of all the domains and, and what they really mean, how they sort of tie together and complement each other. Yeah. So I, I heard what you said about what makes someone interesting to you. I think that the pushback we might get from them is that it's really hard to differentiate skills like curiosity and uh, hardworking you know, on, a, on a resume and actually to get through a filtering process. So do you have any recommendations for how they can demonstrate those things in, such, in a way that show up through your application process? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I have a lot. I, I would say, you know, for me, it's less about an education and where you went to school. And it, it's more about how the, how the resume is organized and what sort of brand are you projecting with your, yeah. with your resume? It's, you know, I'm not crazy about keyword searches and all that. I mean, I realize we have to 
I don't, I don't do those, but our recruiting team does. And that, that's, that's part of it. But if I can look at a resume and understand the image that someone's trying to convey, um, I'm interested, yeah. right? If it's, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a good image, if I can see someone that has put thought, uh, into how it's organized, how the information is, is portrayed. Um, for me, that's enough. Yeah. I, I, I can see someone's put the thought and care and skill into, into a resume. I'll, I'll usually take an interview at that point and then, and then try to go from there. One thing that I've suggested to folks in the past is for them to, to show their, their passion and curiosity about security by doing something like getting involved with an open source project, you know, get on to OWASP or get on to GitHub and, and start co- contributing to those projects or, or get involved with a local community association. Yes. That kind of stuff shows to me that it's not just, hey, I wrote a resume that I, that I can change into six different resumes for six different industries and say, I'm interested in all of you, but there's actually some time in behind it. Right. Does that, does that resonate with you as well? Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, if someone's not immersing themselves in it and, yeah. and what I say is when I have a new, a new joiner in security, I, I like people that, that go home and they want to learn more security. Right. Yeah. And, and they're not just focused on it while they're, while they're at work. Right. So seeing that effort is big. I think, um, I think that's a, I think that's a key part of it. Yeah. Right. Um, associations like that. I, I always, you know, even when people, you can tell people do something like read Krebs, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that's a, I don't care what you're doing and where in security or, or in IT for that matter, you ought to be keeping up on, yeah. on, on where the industry is going and pay, pay attention to this stuff. Or, or, or dark reading or CSO, yes. or there's a million different options, right? Just pick the thing that, or, that or you, you care can, about. You can listen to the Colorado Equal Security podcast, yeah. right? I, I, so, and that, right? Yeah. So, and that. <laughs> All right. Well, so the other audience that, uh, especially when I get someone like yourself, a CISO for one of the big companies in town, there's always a bunch of salespeople listening. Um, so for those salespeople listening, what's your advice to them? They, they want to sell you their service product, you know, do hickey how should they go about it? Yeah, I, you know, it, it's funny. We just corresponded on some of this. I, I don't do well with just blind, uh, you know, cold call type, uh, things where someone's pitching yet another type of technology, right? Yeah. I, I, I don't have time to consume all this anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't, frankly, I don't read it. It's not effective. Uh, and I don't, I don't enjoy when people just send me stuff blindly that, it, you know, it's, just, it's, it seems kind of slimy to me. So, um, for me, it's, if, if I have a relationship with a vendor, then I will, I'll, I'll talk to that vendor and yeah. I'll take their call anytime. If I have a problem to solve, I will, I will seek out, um, some of these different solutions and, and, you know, and, and I try to give everyone a fair shake. So, um, so we'll do proofs of concept and things like that to, to, to see if these things, these things have technical merit, but yeah. what I don't do well with is just the, you know, the cold calling, the, the barrage of, of things, the general messages about how this wonderful new technology is silver, silver bullet is going to make my job super easy. I, I, yeah. I don't even, number one, I don't consume it. Number two, if I do see it, I, I don't believe it. Right? So when, if, let's say, put yourself in the shoes of this, you know, just out of school salesperson who's been told you got to go close some deals in Denver, a brand new product. No one's ever heard of. Do you have any, any advice for those folks, how they should do it? Um, you know, learn it, learn it very well. Um, figure out what it does. 
that is unique and better maybe yeah. than than other competitors in that space and and be able to to somehow apply that um, to a to a particular problem right um, because when I do look I'm not always looking for you know the 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 biggest and the people in the and you know they're always you know top right in the in the Gartner magic right. quadrant I'll look at, at startups and in fact I, I like new technology when I have a need for it because you can help influence where it goes yeah. right which is which is really powerful um, and you can kind of get in on the ground floor and, and and you know especially when you're a big organization so I don't mind doing that um, but I would say for those folks don't don't give just general vague, messages about how things are wonderful and, and perfect and going to solve all my problems be descriptive and, and talk about specifically what does this do yeah right what problems does it solve in what sectors right right um, figure out what problems people are experiencing and figure out how your how your solution makes their life better yeah right? I, i've noticed that there's a i'm sure you get the exact same emails there, there's a lot a flood of emails that say something like Hey, I have this new, you know, cloud security solution. I w I'd like to get 30 minutes of your time to talk to you about it. Yep. Right. And if you ever did take their call, which I'm sure you don't, but if you ever did, what they would say is tell me about all your problems. And then they'd expect you to talk about your infrastructure and all your problems. And then they'd say, well, here's how I address those problems. Yep. I feel like you, what you just described is basically the opposite of that. You know, I understand that the salespeople really want to understand your problem so they can cater their pitch to it, mm -hmm. but you're so busy. And, and of course there's a trust issue for us too, right? I don't, I don't trust you to tell you what my problems are in yeah. my security program. Yeah. Those things sound like social engineering right? when totally. I get those questions. Yeah. yeah. And, and so what I, I think that the first, and I'll tell you the guidance I give within ping and with anyone who asks me, you know, the, the subject of your email needs to specifically say what problem you're going to solve for them. So that if Artie is sitting at his desk thinking, you know, today I could really use a, a doohickey that'll stop bots from getting to my website. And the subject says, we stop bots from getting to your website. You might click it. You yeah. might not, but you might, right? right. You're not going to click one that says, you know, improve your web security now, right? Because yeah. that doesn't mean anything to anybody. Right. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm preaching. I, uh, yeah. I, you know, uh, Personal referrals. I mean, if I, mm. you know, Colorado Equal Security does a lot of great stuff for for the security community here. If if I if I talk to you, if I talk to Alex, if I talk to one of our peers, uh, and they have good things to say about right. something, I pay attention. Yeah. Um, if if someone I work with, uh, you know, brings something to me, um, I'm I'll I'll take a yeah. look at it. Right. Yeah. I, I'd rather. I'd rather do things that way. So, so, so rather than them sending a cold email, they should spend more time trying to get their current customers to advocate, make sure their right. current customers are extremely happy and become their salespeople for them. That's, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. That yep. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it, it's funny, you know, you talk about when we hear from our peers, how, how it really sticks. It's, I think it's mostly because we spend most of our time complaining about our vendors to our peers yeah. <laughs> about how unhappy we are that whenever someone's really happy, you're like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. That's right. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got all the topics that I, I had to kind of specifically to go through. Is there something that you want that I didn't ask that I should have asked you? Um, that's a good question. Uh, where maybe, where do I see security going yeah. and where, you know, where are we going? Yeah. Where are we going and, and, and what are the hardest things to skills to find sure. and stuff like that? Um, you know, we're, we're headed, we're, we're headed toward more, automation and more hmm. sophisticated attacks and all that kind of stuff. So, 
know, to a large extent, I think things like, uh, in some cases, machine learning and AI are just sort of buzzwords, yeah. right? That there may be some of that, right? There may not. Um, but I do think our job is going to get increasingly more complex and we're going to have to have more, uh, not, not just more tools, but more, more people in process. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think people and humans are ever going to go away, right? You still need a decision maker. You need somebody, uh, you need somebody that can connect spare pieces of information, even though the promise of AI is, is, is great. You still need someone to decide, yeah, I'm going to do this or no, I'm not. Mm. Um, so, so I think much more automation is, is where we're headed. And I think, you know, the other thing I'd say is skill wise, right? Cloud, cloud, anything, cloud security is, that is the single hardest um, skill for me to, yeah. to fill. It's not even security, right? It's just cloud skills in general. Cloud skills. Like, yeah, I mean, we could teach them the security part. You talked right. about that earlier, right? But they got to understand the difference between a VPC and a security group. And, and not a lot of folks do, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, application, application security and, mm. you know, dev, DevSecOps and, you know, finding, finding uh, developers with, with, uh, with security expertise or finding security people that have been developers, right? right? All that stuff is, I think yeah. we've recently talked about that. Huge challenge as yeah. well. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, any uh, anything else you want to talk about where you see us going? Um, no, I mean, what what do you think? Oh uh, well, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, number one, the cloud is the best enabler of improved security we're ever going to get when we do it right. Now you you lift and shift into the cloud, you just made your security worse, not better. That's right. But you do it right, and I actually think it's a, a massive improvement. And then you know I've talked about it before, zero trust. I I, I personally believe that our move away from perimeter security into um, you know, or maybe it's not, we don't have it one, we don't have one big perimeter. We have a, a thousand little perimeters right. everywhere, um, around every endpoint, around every identity, around every web application. I think zero trust is where we're going. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, you know, there's three big components to zero trust, right? There's in my model, Rob, Rob Rex personal model, which is pretty close to the ping identity model, but not exactly. Um, I, I, I start off with the endpoint, the laptop mm-hmm. or, or the phone or whatever it is. If I'm going to give that device access to my most sensitive systems, I, I need to really trust it. I need to have assurance that there's no screen scraper that's taking off, you know, all of my, you know, acquisition plans and screenshots going, going off to bad guys, right? I, I want to have a level of assurance there. Um, then, then I say that on, on the, in the middle, there's a highly sophisticated identity access management tool that gives you just in time access, authenticate, adaptive authentication, you know, step up when you need to risk-based everything in the middle. And then on the other side is our, our resources that we're connecting to the workloads. So whether that's your SaaS applications, whether it's your data center applications, doesn't matter all that much. You should be able to access them from anywhere with the right controls in front of it. And it's not to say that there's no firewall. It's just that the firewall isn't the normal way. It's not, we're, just, we're not VP. PNing in and getting everything. Right. We're getting access based on, you know, the the context of the user. Hey, they're connecting from a kiosk machine somewhere. They can only get view only for these really low risk systems. Or they're they're connecting from um, you know, from their trusted machine, from their trusted IP address. Oh, we're gonna give it, we're gonna open up the, the world to them. Yeah. Uh, all those things add up to me to to where we're going. Um, and we're gonna deliver it mostly in the cloud. Not all, but mostly in the cloud. And that'll make it easier. Yeah. And and it's gonna be faster and faster. C I C D it's all gonna have to be built in and, and those of us who are used to having security gates at the end are are gonna have to get used to not having them there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I you know, great, great point. And I think I think the I think the challenge with zero trust is is getting your 
getting your stuff together so that you can you can implement something like yeah. that, right? I mean, I, you know, I, I as a former consultant, I see so many organizations take leaps and invest in in technology and and things like that without without figuring out the basics first, right? And so that's I think our challenge is making sure that we've thought everything through ahead of time, and then we go and. And, and we, we find the technical controls that we're going to use to accomplish, yeah. you know, what we've already figured out. Right? Well, I think, I personally think that that's, it's the most fun topic to think about because you can actually, like, you can make the user experience better while you improve security. And, you know, most of the time it's, it's a trade-off, right? There's, yeah. there's an opportunity for us. Yeah. Well, I, I know it's, it's been awesome having you back in the security community the last year and a little bit, you know, we lost you for a couple of years. Uh, you're back. Hopefully I, we're going to see you talking at RMISC, I think. Yep. Did I make that up? You're going to be at, you're, you're going to be on the Colorado CISO panel. I am going to be on the panel. That's right. Yeah. Um. That, so that should be a lot of fun. Folks can come say hi to you there. I hope. Yes. Um, and you know, we'll see you around town. Anything else for the community you want to share before we call it a day? We are as as most places are. Uh, we are hiring. Yeah. Uh, we will have a presence at, uh, at at some of the oh, there's uh, a job the fair, tables right? Yeah. And the job fair yeah, the at job the fair. RMISC. Um. And we're always looking for you know, uh, energetic, uh, curious people, right? Awesome. Um, it's a, I think we're all, we're, all of us are hiring all the time, right. With the skill shortage. Um, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to the RMISC. I'm looking forward to the panel. I'm looking forward to meeting some, some, some new individuals. And, you know, I, I, I recently had an, uh, had someone tell me that he felt like, the security community in Colorado was a little standoffish with hmm. with new joiners. I thought that was funny. I think I think we're welcoming. It's hmm. it's relatively closely knit, and it's still it feels small. Hmm. Like you run into the same people all the time. But I think when new people do come in, we 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 embrace them. And I'm hungry we, for new people. That's yeah. right. Who's not? <laughs> get get them get them invited. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. All right, Artie. Well, thanks so much. We'll hopefully we'll talk to you in a year or so and, and see how things have changed. I appreciate it. And Rob, Alex, uh, guys, I really appreciate what you do for the security community in Colorado. I think it's fantastic and truly unlike the experience anywhere else. Thanks, Artie. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right, guys, that's it for this week. We will talk to you again next week. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.